0: Alright, let's, uh, let's begin. If you want to go ahead and open your Bibles, uh, of course we're in Luke and today we're in the sixth chapter, uh, verse 12. So we'll read the passage in a minute. Um, the first part of the outline today is the 12 disciples dash apostles. So we're going to talk about this brief section briefly. Uh, I think you understand we could do six weeks on the names of the apostles and uh, not even at that point exhaust all that could be said. So we're not going to do that, but we will talk briefly about this passage in just a moment. So I am glad to see you. Um, I know we all look forward to the day we can come back to the gym and have the caterer there and sit around the tables and have fellowship. Don't know when that's going to be, but uh, I told the staff this morning at prayer time, there is a. Um, an announcer on one of the radio on one of the TV stations who closes his segment every day by saying just remember today we're one day closer to this being over than we were this time yesterday so take heart uh, we don't know how long it's going to go but it's one day closer than it was this time yesterday so let's bow for prayer and then we will uh, dig into Luke 6 father thank you for uh, the joy of this day you are so good to us, and uh, even in days of challenge, days uh, like into which we have not seen or known before, we know that you're with us. We have sensed your presence every step of the way, and we call out to you again today asking that you continue to be with us. Uh, thank you for the privilege of studying the gospel of Luke. I pray that you speak to us through your word today. Thank you for all who've come. Bless each one and their families. Father, thank you for keeping us healthy. We pray that will continue to be the case. We pray that you would bring this virus to a conclusion soon in a way that only you can do. We'll give you all the praise, the honor, and the glory. Thank you for giving the gift of your son, Jesus, for his death on the cross, his glorious resurrection, and the gift of eternal life that is ours by faith and trust in in Jesus and we thank you for the sure and certain knowledge that uh, things are not falling apart they're falling into place and we can anticipate the return of Christ in in what we believe will be the very near future so we love you and adore you pray now you'll bless us in our study in Christ's name i pray amen all right let's talk about verses 12 through 16 the 12 disciples uh dash apostles and uh, begin with verse 12 one of those days jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to god i want you to let that sink in for a minute he spent all night in prayer and remember who this is spending all night in prayer we'll comment on that in a minute when morning came he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them whom he also designated apostles simon whom he named peter his brother andrew James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James son of Alphaeus, Simon who was called the Zealot, Judas son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. So we'll we'll pause there. So here, I want you to observe: um, Is there a connection? Is there a connection between Jesus spending all night in prayer and the selection? of the disciples i find it fascinating and i guess it, it, as, as i think about my own need for prayer if jesus the son of god deemed it necessary to spend an entire night in prayer then what's my excuse i need to be more committed to prayer than i am now i don't know anybody who would be able to say, I spent all the time in prayer that I need to spend in prayer. I think we probably all would agree I could spend more time in prayer. No matter how much you already spend, we could spend more. I find it interesting that Jesus, the night before he announced major decisions in the selection of the disciples, the apostles, they spent the entire night in prayer. And of course, all 12 of these names are familiar to us. We understand their importance. At this moment, but also their importance ultimately in the spread of the gospel to the ends of the earth. Only one of the twelve chosen in advance by God turned out to be unfaithful, and that was Judas Iscariot. So there's Peter, uh, James, and John, the inner circle, so-called inner circle. Uh, Matthew is there, the tax collector who wrote the first gospel. Think about John. He wrote uh, five five books. John, the Gospel, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and Revelation. is an exceedingly significant portion of the New Testament written by the Apostle John, who's often called the Apostle or Disciple of Love. Uh, here's a question. Um, if you can unmute un- and be the first to answer this, then next Wednesday you get a free lunch. That's, that's not very nice of me, is it? Okay, which one of the disciples took the gospel to India? <laughs> Anybody know? Who took the gospel to India? I know Dr. Kemp knows, but he's being gracious and not answering. (laughs) All right. Here it is. Thomas. Thomas. In fact, uh, tradition has it that he, that he was martyred in India carrying the gospel there. That's a long way from, from the Holy land, a long way. All right. So, uh, all of these disciples died as martyrs except, of course, for Judas, who Judas scared who hung himself, and for John, who died in exile, uh, we believe, on the island of Patmos. All the others were martyred for their fellowship and their proclamation of Jesus. And so you understand we could stay here a long time, but we're going to move on. But how we cherish and appreciate uh, these disciples who um, who who carried the gospel in obedience to Christ, literally to the ends of the earth, and we owe a great debt of gratitude to them for their obedience. Um, I, you know, I'm my heart says chase a rabbit. I'll, I'll try not to do that. But you stop to think how absolutely impossible it was to do what the disciples and the early church did. They uh, did not have any modern means of communication. Travel was exceedingly slow and dangerous. Um, on foot, maybe on a donkey or horse, if you're blessed enough to have one. Uh, by boat, if necessary, and talk about dangerous. But no quick transportation. Um, poor. Church, the early church, the disciples by and large were poor, maybe an exception or so, um, and by and large, uh, many of them were uneducated people. Not that that has anything to do with you getting the gospel to the ends of the earth, but that they they were largely uh, humble men, and and look what they did. Look at the spread of the gospel. Through the Roman Empire and literally to the ends of the earth, and it's utterly amazing when you think about. Uh, I, I remember when the uh, program and the movies came out, Mission Impossible. How uh, some preachers took that and entitled sermons on on the Great Commission, Mission Impossible. I may have done that myself if I remember correctly, but. Um, It was, humanly speaking, mission impossible. But look at the amazing spread of the gospel. And it began with these men whose names we have read this morning. Well, Let's go to verse 17 and read about Jesus on poverty and wealth. So we look at verse 17. He went down with them, that is with his disciples, and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples was there and a great number of people from all over Judea from Jerusalem and from the coastal region around Tyre and Sidon, who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by impure spirits were cured, and the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. Looking at his disciples, he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, because great is your reward in heaven. For That is how their ancestors treated the prophets. In other words, nothing's new in Israel. But woe to you who are rich, you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you who everyone speaks well of, for that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. All right, let's stop there for a minute. He uses the term disciple, and that means a student or a follower. So here in this text, he, he uses disciples. Two different ways, one to be to the enter the, the 12 that we talked about a minute ago. He goes down with his disciples, and then he addresses a great number of disciples. So there's the, the there's the core, the 12, and then there are others who are followers uh, of Jesus. Students or followers of Jesus. So here in this text, we see the power of Jesus in healing and over the demonic, we see the authority of Jesus in his teaching for no one ever taught as he taught. And he begins the passage of, of the part of his teaching by saying blessed or blessed or that can be translated happy. Happy are you who are poor. Now, does that sound like an oxymoron? Happy and poor we tend to think those two don't go together but jesus says to those before him blessed are you who are poor for yours is the kingdom of heaven he's forming a contrast here saying to you who follow me yes you may be in poverty you may be poor but remember You are in the kingdom of God and you will inherit the kingdom of God. So think beyond the immediate to the future and realize that though you may struggle in poverty for the moment, just think of what awaits you. And then remember other teachings of Jesus, which reminds us that he will meet every need. He knows everything we need and he will provide. For us, then he goes on to say, blessed are the hunger or those who hunger for you'll be satisfied, satisfied internally, satisfied spiritually, never to be spiritually hungry ever again. Blessed are you who weep. There's a time coming when you're going to laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you because of me, because of Jesus, when they exclude you. And they insult you and they reject your name as evil because that's the way they feel about my name because of the Son of Man, he says. So blessed are you, uh, the, the hungry, those who weep, those hated for Christ's sake, those hated and insulted and plundered, the poor, the weeping, the hated, follow Jesus, follow me and here's what you can expect here's what you can expect but look at the reward look at what is your reward some of which you begin to experience in the now much of which will not come until you're before the throne but understand um, You've heard the term short-term pain, long-term gain. Maybe there's a sense in which that is applicable here. The pain that we experience now for Christ's sake will become the gain that we have before the throne of God. Look at your reward. Often in tune-up, I've referred you to the dot. So I'll do it one more time. hope you don't get tired of it. But The dot. In the great span of eternity, and that dot represents us—the length of our lives. And so, that dot's important. We would never underestimate the importance of that dot. For within that dot, in your lifespan, uh, you uh, bless others, but most importantly, your opportunity to receive Christ to determine your eternity. But remember, if the dot's painful. If the dot's painful, it won't last much longer. And remember what is before you in that gray, unending line of eternity that goes on and on and on and on and on. And blessed is the person who can remember that and embrace that even in the midst of very, very difficult days sometimes i found myself being a little shy around people who are suffering and hesitating to say to them, just remember what's coming because basically what we're looking for right now is, is healing or an end to suffering or what, whatever the situation may be, we want it now. And so for the preacher to come in and say, well, just remember what's coming seems sometimes a little cold, but in reality, it isn't because it does us well to remember that Jesus never said we wouldn't go through hard times. He never said we wouldn't suffer. He never said we wouldn't be sick. He never said we wouldn't be persecuted. But what he did say is he would be with us all the way and great is the reward that awaits us. So maybe, maybe, what do you think? It gets a little easier to embrace that thought. The older we get, the longer we live, we remember this is very temporary and what, what is coming, what awaits us is glorious beyond description. Now in verse 24, 25, and 26, Jesus pronounces four woes. So notice what they are. Woe to you who are rich, for you've already received your comfort. about that? You're uh, wealthy. You may live in a big house and sleep in a luxurious bed and have everything you need. But if you don't know Jesus, the only comfort you can find is that you're experiencing your reward right now. There'll no, there be none for you in eternity apart from Christ. And then, then he says, woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Uh, well fed category. Uh, I resemble that remark. Uh, I, I'm well fed. I've not missed any meals lately. and uh, But I'm thankful that I am a Christ follower because if I were not, I would have this realization that I'm well fed now, but there's a day coming when I will be hungry in eternity. And then he says, woe to you who laugh now you will mourn and weep laughing now apart from christ perhaps laughing at those who are followers of christ perhaps that's included in in the thought but there's coming a day when you will mourn and you will weep apart from christ and woe to you when everyone speaks well of you well then we like people to speak well i us. nobody wants people to think you're awful But the reality of it is, if you're a Christ follower, there are always going to be those who will despise you. Not really so much because they despise you personally, but because they despise Jesus. They despise God. They despise the fact that the Scripture tells us what to do, tells us how we are to live, tells us that we are not to be dependent on our own ways but to be dependent on god and trust him for eternal life and have you noticed there are a lot of folks who don't like to be told what to do (laughs) they don't like to be told what to do and so they resent the scripture they resent jesus and because we're christ followers they resent us and so we may indeed experience ridicule or even worse active persecution But Jesus says to those who who speak well of, when everyone speaks well of you, that is, he's talking here of those who are lost, well, just know, soak it up because there won't be anybody speaking well of you in eternity. In fact, that's the way they spoke of the false prophets who came before you. They spoke highly of them, but we know their outcome. So Jesus is pronouncing here the, the four woes and giving giving the out the, the outcome and um, in verse 23 he is reminding us who know Jesus that we can anticipate suffering uh, because uh, of of Jesus now for generations that has been in our country it's, we are so blessed it's just utterly amazing how blessed we are I don't often understand why God chosen to bless us so, but he certainly has. So when we've talked about suffering historically, or maybe I should say persecution historically, our minds have generally gone to other countries. We personally here didn't know what that meant. Are, are you seeing the changes that are occurring? Can you anticipate that there is going to be more persecution in our culture in the days to come i, I, I really think we see it unfolding and uh, very rapidly and so i think we can anticipate more of that so that we don't have to look to other countries someday and say well there's what's suffering about over there uh, we'll be able to say here's what suffering's about right here well we're in no hurry for that to happen, but it does seem the absolute reality of the day in which in which we live. Um, the joy of Jesus will be so, uh, so everything we need in eternity, and we can anticipate that coming very soon. The value of the soul is kept when that soul is given to Christ. Now, um, in Luke 6, in this passage, let me just sum this up by saying, Jesus is saying to his disciples and to us, follow me and suffer now, only to be greatly rewarded later. So that's what he's saying to his disciples. You're going to suffer. The disciples of all the ages have suffered. He speaks to us and warns us of suffering. But remember, as hard as it may be, the best is yet to be. As hard as it may be now, the best is yet to be. All right, let's go on to verse 27. Uh, if you would like for me to skip this passage, just raise your hand and, and I'll consider it. Because this section is entitled, Loving Your Enemies. So if you'd like for me to skip over this... Um, I probably won't pay any attention to you, but you can raise your hand if you'd say, Pastor, move on. We don't want to hear it. Well, you know, I know how you feel. Uh, love your enemies. Oh, my. <laughs> did he have to say that? Oh, yes, he did. So let's see what verse 27 says. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Now, here's how bad a sinner I am. I don't do this much anymore, but I used to. It's terrible. My temper was worse than it is now. Um, Have you ever laid in bed at night having gone through a, uh, maybe really had a challenging day with some person, and you've laid there saying, man, I wish I had said this. Man, I wish I had said that. As a zinger. I would have really put him in his place, or put her in her place. And man, I'll tell you what: if I get around them again, nobody's looking. I'm going to bop them on the head. Have you ever thought things like that, or am I the only sinner in the room? Uh, I've thought those things. Now it's been at least a week since I thought that, but uh, I've thought I've thought those things. But Jesus says, "Do good to those who hate you. Bless those." who curse you and pray for those who mistreat you oh my goodness well you know i can't be selective in the scripture that i believe um i can't it's all true so this is true and applicable to me and to you now it gets harder if you take a deep breath say okay let's move on no no wait to verse 29 try this one oversized on If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. Wow. Now, that's not likely to happen very often in your lifetime, where someone literally slaps you in the face. But they sure may do it figuratively or verbally. And Jesus says, if they do, turn your head and give them the other cheek also. Woo. Man alive. Well, you do know, you do remember that the Holy Spirit within you gives you the strength and the ability to do whatever the Scripture tells you to do. So if we are sitting here thinking that's impossible, I can't do it. No, no, it is it is possible. It is doable, not in your strength, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, here, here it becomes extremely personal because what is next is theft. If someone takes your coat Shout at them, Thief! Thief! Is that right? No. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Now, there's a picture here uh, of Roman. Romans could abuse uh, non-citizens, and the Jews were considered glorified slaves. They could abuse them by stopping them on the road and saying, I left home, and this cold front came through, and I don't have a coat. You do. I want it, and uh, the, the the Jew would have to give it. Would have to give him the cl- the coat, and so Jesus says, "Give him the coat and offer your shirt, also. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back." Wow, do, do Jesus is asking the. He's asking the humanly impossible apart from the power he himself gives us. It's not my nature to do any of this. And uh, I know, I know all of you and you're all sinners. Okay. I may not have ever seen you sin, but I know you are because the scripture says you are. So does this come natural to you? Someone takes your coat, you're going to give them your shirt. Someone slaps you on the cheek. You'll turn the turn your head so they can get the other. The other cheek, Uh, if anyone takes something that's yours, are you going to demand it back? This is not me, but it is supposed to be the me in Jesus. And Jesus follows that up with one of the most famous verses in all the scripture, the 31st verse, we often call it the golden rule, do to others as you would have them do to you. Do to others as you would have them to do to you. Oh, my. Let me finish these verses so we can talk about them. Verse 32. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? In other words, if somebody loves you and you love them back, of course. Even sinners love those who love them. I mean, the unbeliever loves his own family or loves friends. or You know, that's no big deal to love those who already love you. Then your reward will be great and you will be the children of the most high because he is kind to the ungrateful. He is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your father is merciful. Have there been times in your life when you've practiced that expecting your so-called enemy or offender or the person who hurt your feelings, whatever it may be, you are, you return kindness to them thinking well that'll break that'll break the barrier that'll break the ice and they'll turn around and be kind to me does that always happen no it doesn't sometimes you're kind in return and they're still mean they still don't like you but aren't those sweet moments when it does happen and we are kind and they're kind in return and it changes the entire atmosphere and all of us have seen that But the message of Christ is we do the right thing no matter what. We do the right thing no matter the response from others. We do what's right and leave the rest to God. So I put my notes here a big, oh, my, with an exclamation point. This is hard. Love your enemies. Practice the golden rule. And reminder, it's not hard to love the people who love you anybody anybody can do that but it's a challenge to love those who don't love you and in fact go beyond that and mistreat you he talks here about love your enemies do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back that is a principle that applies to us here at the church in our uh, benevolent ministry and has been forever um, we often have folks come and say, well, I'll gladly, I'll pay, you can help me with this and we'll I'll pay you back. And our response is always, we don't give loans. We will help you. If we're able to do that, we will help you. But beyond that, it's your decision. We have no expectation of being repaid for things we do for others. Occasionally, In 31 and a half years of pastoring here, I think maybe three times, someone has repaid what was done for them. So obviously it's rare, but we have no expectation of that. We are ministering in Jesus' name, and so in other words, we don't expect anything back, which is exactly what Jesus is talking about here. A selfless love, a sacrificial kind of love, Honestly, a supernatural kind of love, just because I can't love like that in my own nature and in my own strength. But because the Holy Spirit lives in me, because I'm a Christ follower, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So I can love those who don't love me. I can love those who persecute me. And so I know I should and I must and I do but you'd know I'd be less than honest if I said I do 100% of the time because I've still got a sin nature. But I know it's not a lack of knowledge. It's not a lack of knowing what I'm supposed to do. It's a matter of dependence on the Holy Spirit to do what I am supposed to do. Now, most of us make better profits than we do lovers. What I mean by that is we are by nature better at telling people off and telling them what they ought to do and how dare they, this or that, than we are being lovers of those who are our enemies. But the reminder to us is God didn't call you to be a prophet. He called you to love your enemies. Now, he did call some to be prophets, but not nearly as many as think they are. So, uh, love in deed, love in word. Why? Well, it is the, the selfish part of that. It's, that's how we want to be treated. So, love your enemy in hopes that it will soften his heart and he will respond in kind. But what Jesus points at here as our motive, uh, apart even from obedience, yes, that's certainly motive, but Jesus reminds us we will earn a great reward and clearly demonstrate that we are God's children. And that's important. Never underestimate the power of redemptive love. And so Jesus is telling us that in this passage of Scripture. Now, I want to move on, if you'll let me do that, to, um, you yeah, know, we've got time for one more section. I've entitled this section beginning with verse 37, Judging Others. Hmm. You ever hear the phrase these days, who are you to judge? Why are you judging me? Or, well, let me go ahead and read the passage, and then we'll talk about it. Verse 37 of chapter 6. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you'll be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. He also told them this parable. Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into a pit? The student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teachers. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. I love this passage um, most of the time, but I love this passage because I think Jesus showed some humor. Um, I believe that it would have been impossible to say these words without gesturing and perhaps demonstrating in some fashion the speck and the plank. Uh, Perhaps Jesus saying, you've got a plank in your own eye and you're trying to pick a, a speck out of your brother's eye. And so I can see people smiling at Jesus as he told this portion of Scripture, but then also saying underneath, ugh, I'm expected to do that. So let's talk about judging others. For many in America today, their favorite verse, and maybe the only verse they know from Scripture, is the first part of verse 37. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. I'll bet today if you walked around Belton and took a poll of a 1,000 people, uh, there would be a lot of them who would know one verse, and that's it, because they've heard it and they want to use it to their own advantage. Now, it is true that I cannot know a person's heart, and we need to be careful about that. Sometimes we rush to judgment on some issue, and we don't have a clue as to what's in another person's heart. So we need to be gracious, and we need to be kind, and we need to be patient and try to understand the other person before rushing to judgment about them. But it is true, Jesus himself said, by their fruit you shall know them. So what are we to do here in this area of judgment? By their fruit, you'll know them, but we've got to be slow to judge. We need to know what's, to try to discern what's in a person's heart. So wh- where do we come down on this? Sin is never okay. I mean, It is not. It is never okay. Um, so my reaction to the sin of another should never be approval. Of course, that applies, first of all, to me. I should never approve of my own sin, but there should not be any circumstance in which I approve of the sin of another, but I can hate the sin while loving the sinner. We, we say that statement frequently. Now, the day in which we live, that statement is not allowed by many. They, they've learned the power of that statement, and they reject it, and so they say, no, if you don't approve of my sin, if you don't approve of my lifestyle, if you don't approve of what I'm doing, then you hate me and you're not supposed to do that. Whereas we say, well, I don't approve of your sin, but I do love you. And that used to be, I can remember that used to kind of be enough. You know, you'd people would say, okay, you, I mean, you don't like the way I live, but at least I know you love me. Well, that's not an acceptable statement anymore. Times have changed. So just be prepared if you say to someone, I don't, I don't like your sin, but I love you. They're probably going to reject that statement and say, no, in reality, you hate me. It's not what you said and it's not what you mean and it's not what you feel, but that's what they're going to say. So Jesus lays down four principles in regard to judging in this passage of scripture, uh, because we've got to be careful. We should not judge uh, without an understanding that we ourselves are going to be judged. Don't condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive. So, what are the um, what are the principles that we find in this passage? There are four of them. The first is this: be generous to others. Be generous to others, verses thirty-seven and thirty-eight. And by that, it means more than monetarily. It means be generous in forgiving. Be generous in forgiving. And it will often come back to you if you will be generous in forgiving. If you are are generous in forgiving others, they may very well respond in kind. Now, I said earlier, they may not, but you do the right thing and leave it to God. But often people will respond in kind. So forgive and give. Uh, When we think about the word give we're not talking there about the offering plate but we're talking about the giving generously to people so if you're going to choose to evaluate someone's fruit then uh, just be certain that you are generous in the area of forgiveness now the second principle that we find here is in verses 39 and 40 When Jesus says, be careful whom you follow, he warns them because we often become like our teachers, whether that be for the good or for the bad. We often become uh, like our teachers. So Jesus says, don't follow the blind. Can the blind lead the blind? No, they can't. Don't follow the blind. Follow those lead and teach with moral clarity, Jesus says. Don't follow the corrupt, the unbiblical. Don't follow corrupt or unbiblical theology. Don't follow the hypocritical or the one with the condescending heart. Follow those true to Scripture. Follow those who build up others. Follow those who show kindness and generosity and patience. Then become like your, your teacher. Be careful whom you follow. You can find out a lot about people when you find out um, who their favorite teachers are. You can find out a lot about people. And that would apply certainly to theology. Um, there's some well-known personalities that are seen often on TV preaching. And I go into full alarm stage when someone says to me, well, my favorite teacher is one of those guys then that alarms me because I know they have just named someone who is not true to the scripture. So be careful who you follow. Number three principle, deal with your own stuff. Verse 41 and 42, deal with your own stuff first. Now I see humor here. Jesus may have gestured about the speck in the plank and, um, You know, if you, if you've got a plank in your own eye and you're trying to get to your friend to get the speck out of his eye, you're probably going to clobber him in the head with the plank that's in your eye. And that's going to hurt both of you a lot. So Jesus may have gestured, but he's basically saying, don't be hypocritical. Uh, Take care of the plank in your own eye before you try to remove the speck from the eye of of a brother or sister. Uh, Now I would submit that scripture teaches As we think about, uh, I'll read a passage in a minute. It's immoral to see a brother or sister in sin and not make some attempt to address it. But just be sure you first recognize the plank that's in your own eye and remove it. Let me refer you to the book that we are going through on Sunday morning, and we'll get to this passage in just a few more weeks. Brothers and sisters, Galatians 6. If someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the spirit should restore that person gently, but watch yourselves or you may also be tempted. Carry each other's burdens and this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. The world has been so hypercritical of believers for being hypocritical that literally it has paralyzed many Christians from ever ever saying anything to someone else about the sin that's in their lives we don't want to do it because we would rather be called a communist than to be called a hypocrite and so please don't call me that call me anything but don't call me that and so we're we're really afraid of it but simply what jesus is saying is be sure you take care of the sin that's in your own life before you address the sin that's in somebody else's life. But once you've done that, then lovingly, gently, kindly, graciously address that with another believer for the sake of his own soul and for the sake of the witness to the kingdom of God. Um, all of us have been on an air, I doubt there's anybody here who has never flown on a plane. So, you know, for the last 40 years or whatever, they've been part of the pre-flight instruction talks about those oxygen masks and the stewardess or the, the flight attendant will uh, say to you in the event, in the unlikely event, they, they always say that, and I'm always glad to hear the unlikely, in the unlikely event that there is a need for oxygen, uh, there's something wrong with the pressure in the cabin, whatever, the oxygen mask gonna drop down right in front of you. And if you have a person with you who needs help, could be an elderly person, could be a small child, could be a disabled person, but if there's someone traveling with you who would need assistance, what are you supposed to do first? Put the Yeah, Vicky is demonstrating putting the mask over. Put the mask over your own face first, then assist the person next to you. Because if you're trying to help the person next to you and you run out of oxygen, then you're both going to be toast. So take care of getting your own mask on. Don't take a week to do it, but Put your own mask on, then help the person who's traveling next to you. And that's what Jesus is saying. He's not saying ignore the person next to you, but he's just saying be sure you take care of the plank in your own eye first, then address the issue with a brother or sister. Now, the fourth principle that Jesus introduces in this text, and we'll close with this, um, judge a person's heart. Look at verse 43. let me see yeah yeah. Yeah. judge a person's heart look at verse 43 Uh, i want to read that again i don't think i read that before verse 43 no good tree bears bad fruit nor does a bad tree bear good fruit each tree is recognized by its own fruit people do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Hmm. Okay. After numbers one, two and three, we are then enabled by the Holy Spirit and God's grace to look at another person's heart and make moral judgments and to do so correctly. But don't leap straight to number four, bypassing numbers one, two, and three, and think that you're going to have the mind of Christ. You will not. It will be offensive and and downright immoral. So listen to Jesus, not culture. Don't be one of those who leaps immediately to number four and says, I'm going to judge his heart or her heart when you haven't done principle number one, principle number two, and principle number three others do not care and believe other, others who do not do not care and believe we should make we should never make any moral judgments but the scripture runs contrary to that in this passage um, if that principle were true that we should never make moral judgments then to our friend Paul we would say you should have kept your mouth shut. And never written first Corinthians or Romans chapter one, but he did. And the truth of the matter is a good tree bears good fruit and a bad tree bears bad fruit or no fruit. A pecan tree does not bear oranges. An apple tree does not bear pears and a grapefruit tree does not bear limes. Only time we've ever had fruit trees in, in our yard was when we lived in Corpus Christi. We had a lime tree and we had a grapefruit tree and for We never had a lime grow on the grapefruit tree and we never had a grapefruit grow on the lime tree. It just never happened and it won't happen. So in the same way, we remember a good tree bears good fruit and a bad tree bears bad fruit. So watch not so much isolated occasions. For instance, let me give you an illustration. If you have a friend who's a believer, and one day you're working with him on a project and he hits his thumb with a hammer and a word comes out of his mouth that you have never heard him say before, Um, I don't think it's necessary for you to form a moral judgment and jump down his throat about saying that. But if that person who claims to be a follower of Christ has a pattern, a lifestyle of profane language, then I think you must address that issue so we're not looking for the the occasional sin we're looking for patterns and lifestyles that really can destroy a person's witness um, in the kingdom of god so watch out for that and that's probably i think about as far as i dare to go today because it's almost uh, it's almost one o'clock so next week it won't take us long to finish the last few verses of chapter six Um, and then we will move on into Chapter 7 of Luke next Wednesday. And I hope you'll be here to join with us again. I enjoy being with you. Um, I I confess I enjoy it when we're together in the gym more. But that doesn't come from the study of Scripture. That comes from just I like to be near you. So I'm looking forward to the day when we're back in the gym again. But um, for now, it's the best we can do. and. uh, I thank you for tuning in, and I hope you'll continue to do so until we are able to be back in the same in the same room again. That's a good lead-in to your survey. Oh yes, um, you should have received today uh, notice. Is it on Realm, Vicky? That that'd be the first place. Realm yeah, and get. email. And email an invitation to help us with a survey that will let us know some things as we look to the future, and also to help evaluate some of what we're already doing. So if you've not seen that, um, or if you have seen it and haven't filled it out, I hope you'll help us by doing that. We The, the feedback will be very helpful uh, for right now, but also as we look towards uh, regathering again, these, these thoughts will be very helpful. So thank you for being willing to do that. And uh, let me pray, and then you're welcome to stay on for a little bit if you have uh, folks you want to greet or anything you want to say. Father, thank you for the scripture. Thank you for the very words of God to our hearts. I pray that we'll be obedient in all ways. May our hearts be soft and pliable and teachable before you. And may we be kind and sensitive to the needs of others, and yet at the same time, not afraid to point out sin as a lifestyle in the lives of those who claim to know Christ. Father, help us to have a balance there and to know where it is and to do it. And so, Father, I thank you for everybody that's watched and listened today. Bless each one and their families. We look forward to a week from today when we're back together again. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.